welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We were down Edge Church uh, this week and they were a great church. Um, led by a man called Danny Guglamucci. Uh, and as the name may suggest, he's, he's not from around here. He's Italian, and Italians love food. And he's built, his whole, he's built his whole church around a culture of food. And so when you go down there, nobody does food like Ed's church. I mean, we do it pretty good, but they take it to a whole nother level. HNL, whole nother level. Okay, Glenn, I'm trying to work that out, HNL. Whole nother level. We haven't built our culture on food, but there are a few other things we've built our culture on. And one of them, and it starts with F, and it's fun. If, If there's one thing I think is sadly missing in many Christians' lives, it's a sense of fun. It's a sense of joy. It's a sense of hope. It's a sense of peace. And as a church, we've tried to model fun to the best of our uh, ability, um, even if it means being misunderstood. And when you put on an event like the bloke where you have beer, burger and boxing, um, you can get in a little bit of trouble for that, but that's true of us. It's us being true to ourselves. And that's what this whole identity series is about. It's us being true to who we are. In actual fact, when we were down the uh, Edge Church the other day, it was so funny because our table, I looked around. And uh, we, from Victory Church, were the only guys there. And there was lots of churches represented. But we were the only ones there with T-shirts on. And thongs. And and I I want you to know something about that. That is not us making a statement. That is not us trying to be difficult nor different. Why did we wear thongs and why do we wear t-shirts? Because that's who we are. It's how we roll, baby. It's what we do here. That's not weird when people from this church wear t-shirts and thongs and jeans that are ripped. That's not weird. I tell you what's weird when someone from church, from this church, goes down to Ed's church and wears a tie. That's weird. Oh, actually, Drew did. I'm saying this to say, guys, when you know who you truly are, you have this sense of security and you have this sense of purpose and that's the way God wants you to live your life, not worried by what everybody thinks. It's enough to drive you crazy. I wonder what they're thinking. You know what was so sweet about us being down the edge church? I didn't even think to think what they were thinking about us. We just rocked in and this is us. And that's why it should be. Being true to yourselves. And so mums, when you send your kids off to school tomorrow and it's a little bit cold, don't put a jumper on them if your kids aren't cold. Stop putting on people what you are feeling. I'm miserable, so let me put some misery on you. I'm bitter, so I want to put some bitterness on you. Stop it. We exist to be a, a, a difference in this world, a point of difference. And that's what this whole series is about. And I think that's enough of my introduction, which isn't actually part of my introduction. Now I get to my introduction. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, reading for verse 23, says this. Jesus replied. Now, it's Jesus speaking, not me, okay? 
So if you don't listen to me, if you don't want to listen to me, that's fine. But you've got to listen to Jesus. All right. Jesus replied, "The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified." I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now, he says, my heart is troubled. Jesus has got himself to this place where his heart is troubled. Anyone in this room ever had their heart troubled? Jesus says, my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Give up? Give in? Stuff them? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Here's the background of this particular reply of Jesus. And you can read it in your own time, John chapter 12. Jesus' life is full of people, people demanding of him. He's around Lazarus's home and there's Mary and there's Martha and there's all these people. In uh, verse 4, we see Judas is there. Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus and Judas represents disappointment. Have you ever had disappointment in your life? Jesus is surrounded by these people who have disappointed him and let him down. He's surrounded by the Jews. The Jews, it mentions in verse 9, were only there to see the spectacular. They didn't care about Jesus. They just wanted to see the dead guy, Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead but he raised up again to uh, life and health and they were only there just to see the spectacular and see the miraculous and there are many people who go to church just for the miraculous they don't care about Jesus they're just there for the miraculous and Jesus is having to, to to contend with all of this in verse 10 we read about the chief priests the chief priests represent opposition They were so annoyed with what Jesus was doing and they were so annoyed about the popularity that Jesus was gaining. They they, they actually came up with a scheme, which is so ridiculous, it's funny. They thought, you know what? Because of Lazarus being raised from the dead through the power of Jesus, you know, and and, and we don't like that. We're going to put Lazarus to death. They want to put the dead guy to death. It doesn't make sense. Opposition often, often does not make sense. But Jesus is having to contend with all this. He's having to contend with the Greeks in verse 20 who wanted an appointment with Jesus. It wasn't enough enough for them to be in the crowd and just hear. They wanted an appointment. They wanted one-on-one time with Jesus. Jesus has got all this going on in his world. On top of that, those that were closest to him didn't get him. The disciples were just like struggling to keep up with Jesus because Jesus was always on the move. And doing new things and doing different things. And he had all this going on. On top of all of this stuff that was going on in his world. Mums, the kids and the lunches. Then you've got to go to work to support. And then you've got to deal with the boss. And all these things, you know what I'm saying? All these things that are going on in your world. 
You men who have to go to work and then you've got to get home and, and then you've got to be there for the kids and then you've got to be there for your wife and she's not happy with you just sitting in front of the television. You've got to be there. She wants to talk. You've used all your words up. She has got stacks left and she wants you to talk. You've got all this stuff going on. That's what's happening here. And what do you do and how do you feel when you've just had a busy day at work and the boss has just grinded you and the boss has just told you off and the boss has said, you know, mate, if you don't perform, your job is on the line. And then you come home and the kids are jumping all over you. And you say, come on, kids, get off me. I've had, enough. I've had a busy day. And they're thinking, Dad, we just love you. We just want to play with you. And you say, come on, get off me. And then you look at your wife and go, kids, kids, come, come. <laughs> Come on. Anyone else? Anyone else know what I'm on about? That's what Jesus, that's, that's what Jesus is like right now. He's in that moment. And he says, what shall I say? Stuff them. That's, that's, that's the cry of most people. Ah, oh, it's too hard. Enter Jesus. A man of a different spirit. Into Jesus, a man like no other man. And he says, shall I give up on them? No. It's for these very ones that I've come. You know what? It's an interesting thought that the very people Jesus came for, people, was the very thing that got in the way of reaching those people. And that was people. People will get in the way of reaching people. As a church, we are committed to People, but it's people that will stop you reaching people. What separates Jesus is that he knows who he is. And so he knows what he's been called to do. And so when he says, should I be delivered from this hour? He says, no way. This is why I came. I came to go to the cross. In actual fact, Jesus came to die. That's why he came to planet earth. And he knew that. He had a sense that this is my purpose, this is my calling and I'm not going to let well-meaning people, I'm not going to let opposition, I'm not going to let nobody or no thing get in the way of what my purpose and calling is. How many of you would like that sense of purpose? How many of you would like that sense of, of, of knowing and knowledge of where you were going? He knew who he was and he knew what he was alive for. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. When you know who you are, we've spent five weeks on identity. You will know what to do. You can't ever know what you are called to do without first knowing who you are. We turn into human doings that way. Finding our identity, finding our acceptance, finding our approval in what we do. And so we end up doing things we're not called to do because doing that job gets me more money. But it's actually not what you're called to do. And so you do life miserable. And because you're miserable, you need beer and lots of it. And when that's not enough, you need drugs. And when that's not enough, you need pornography. And when that's not enough, you need an affair. And when that's not enough, you need something else. To satisfy the longing on the inside that says, I was created for something more than what I'm presently experiencing. Jesus wasn't on drugs. 
Jesus didn't do smoking. Jesus didn't do those things because he was so alive with the purposes of God. He didn't need those things. And thank God, because I met Christ at an early age, I've had that same sense of purpose. I remember going out to a nightclub in my teenage years and I had one beer. And uh, being who I am and, and I like to be the life for the party, I feel like I've got so much life and so much energy going on on the inside of me. I get on the dance floor, we're doing our moves, you know, those 80s moves back in the day. And it was interesting. I never, I'll never, never, never forget this. Six months later, a friend of mine who was with me on that particular night, who didn't really know too much about me and my background, he came down from Queensland, because that's where I was on this particular night. He came down to Queensland, came into our youth group. I invited him. And he started saying, oh man, six months ago when we was in Queensland, you should have seen Tony. He was so drunk. And he started saying all the things I was doing. Because he associated my one beer And what I did after that as drunkenness. And I made a vow, I'm not going to touch alcohol again because I don't want alcohol to get the credit for the joy of God on the inside of me. I I, I want this church to pulsate with with a knowledge of who they are so that they would know what to do so that no matter how tough it is or gets, and it will and it does, you never give up. You never give up. You never give up. See, this is a great church and it's getting better. It's going to be even better with, with more leaders. It's going to be fantastic. But it's a great church. But I want to tell you, there's been some dark days. And the thing that kept me going was this joy set before me. I saw some of you in this room years ago. And it was that sense of purpose that stopped me giving up. But that sense of purpose came out of knowing who I am. And so I want you to get this series and I want you to get it into you. We have all of our messages available online, free of charge for you to download and listen to over and over and over again. The first five weeks of this series have been all about our being. And being must precede doing. It's about who we are. It's about who we're not. It was all about you. I want to shift slightly today and start talking about the doing aspect because we have been created for a purpose. God has created us to do life with, but in doing life with, he wants us to do stuff for him. It's like our kids. When we decided to have kids, we didn't decide to have um, bin taker-outerers. We didn't decide to have dishwasher-upperers. We decided to have people that we wanted to spend our life with. But having those people in our world, we want to do life with them. And so we've given them some chores to do. Does that make sense? And I believe that's indicative of the Christian life. God wants to do life with us, but he also has a job for us. Does that make sense? But we've got to get the with us right first. And so when we are with him, we work for him. Does this make sense? Excellent. And so discovering your identity is a first step in discovering your purpose. This is the number one question for most Christians. This is at least what I've found. And it may resonate with some of you. I've just got to wipe my nose because it's kind of itchy. And I could uh, wipe it all, all service. And you think I've got a twitch or I can just get it out of the way once and for all. All right, cool, done. I promise not to touch my nose again. All right. At least I didn't stick it up my nose like that. At least I didn't do that. Ugh. All right. Little surprise package up there. Anyway, 
You hear that? Oh, that's the best, that's the most response I've ever got from any of you. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. That's great. Number one question for most Christians is this. What's the will of God for my life? What's the will of God for my life? And as a result of wanting to know the will of God for their lives, they spend their whole life chasing the elusive will of God. I do that because it's weird. And that's what it looks like when you chase the will of God. It gets weird. You never find it. It just gets weird. It gets weird when you chase the will of God. People often ask me, when did I know the will of God for my life? Assuming that because I'm doing what I'm doing right now, I've always known that this is what I was called to do. Can I be very honest with you? Answer it this way. I didn't know the will of God and there's many aspects I still don't. I didn't. And there is many aspects whereby I still don't. You might say, okay, okay, then don't be, don't, okay. Let me ask it this way. When did you know you were called to plant a church? Oh! If I can be real honest with you, I think I was four or five years into our church plant. I looked over my shoulder at some of the people that had been gathered and some of the things that we'd done. And I thought, wow, I guess this means I'm a pastor. It wasn't something I chased. It wasn't something I made happen. I don't believe you ever find the will of God or your purpose or meaning in life by chasing after it. That is a a short track of getting weird. There's much about the will of God I don't know and I don't understand. But I want to share a few things about what I do know. Is that okay? Because there are a couple of things that I have learnt along the way. And here they are. Number one, seek God, not his will. It'd be like me saying, Dad, Dad, what am I meant to do? What am I meant to do with my life? What am I going to be when I grow up? What am I going to be when I grow up? And Dad trying to answer that, but not really knowing you well enough to know. The better thing is just to get to know dad and dad will get to know you and, and uh, he'll give you certain tasks to do and he'll find out what you're good at and what you're not good at. And, 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 and through that relationship, it ends up steering you in the right direction. Isn't that how parents do it? At least good parents do it that way. Bad parents say, you're going to be a lawyer. Really? Wow. Wow. Pity the person I have to look after. Got to seek God, not His will. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, speaking of the life of Jesus, he says this Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. You know, if you want to find God, sometimes you've got to leave the house. Why? Because your wife's there. Or your husband's there. Or your kids are there. Jesus gets up, he leaves the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. 
Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. As if Jesus didn't know. That's why he went away. I think Jesus knew. I mean, if there's ever an understatement, it's right there. Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. To nearby villages. So I can preach there also. For that is why I've come. Isn't it interesting that Jesus knew what to do? Not because he was seeking after what to do, but because he sought the face of God. Can I say it this way? Stop seeking God's face at hands, but seek his face. See, we have parents in this room that are a little bit over and sick and tired of their kids just coming to them because they want something. Let's be honest. The cry of every parent's heart is, I wish my kids would just come and spend time with me. I wish there wasn't a hook like, oh yeah, now while I've got your attention, can I have? Come on, parents. Who hates that? Who's a little bit over that? got some honest ones here. It's great. Yet we go and do the very same thing to God. God, I love you. Just, just picture it. Kids, mom, I love you. What's coming? What's coming? Can I sleep over so-and-so's? Can I have some money? Can I have a donut? Can I have some lollies? And as a parent, it breaks your heart. Not that you're against them having lollies or sleepovers, but you don't want it to be all about that. If your kids only ever come to you for what they can get, it's going to get a little bit nauseating. If you only ever go to God and say, what's the will for my life? What's, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? We're going to miss the point. Because you'll never find the will of God when you're seeking after the will of God, but you will collide into the will of God when you seek God's face. Just on a personal note, where this has been true for me, from the age of 15, I made a decision to read my Bible on a daily basis. I did not know what my future held. I did not know at the age of 15 that I would be leading this church. I did not know that. And I didn't start reading my Bible to know what my future held. I read my Bible because I wanted to know more about God. I wanted to know God. I wanted to know his will. I wanted to know his ways. No one asked me to read the Bible. No one made me read the Bible. I started reading it for myself as a 15-year-old because I wanted to know God. I didn't want to know about him. I wanted to know him. And in that knowing God, that relationship with God, I got to do things. And that has opened doors for me. And I stand before you and say, honestly, me leading a church is as much surprise to me as it is to anyone else who ever comes here and says, is he the pastor? I mean, if I stand up here with Pete next to me and you say, okay, which one's the pastor? <laughs> There's not too many people that are going to pick me. But it doesn't matter, because God did. So when finding the will of God and purpose and direction, stop looking for it. Just look for God. Secondly, be willing to do anything. 
be willing to do anything. You know, I'm all for the specialist. But I believe a life does not start as a specialist. Life starts as a generalist. Jesus died as the saviour of the world. But he was born as a babe in a manger. We want, to, we want these elusive ideas. We have these elusive ideas of grandeur that, you know, I'm waiting for my moment. But I don't think those moments are ever going to come while we have that mentality. In John chapter 13, verse 1, it says it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. This is how. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus was a specialist when it came to salvation. He's the only one who's ever redeemed mankind. Specialist. He's one and only. His role. Yet, he was willing to do anything. Yet, he was willing to do the mundane. When you have a room full of specialists, the mundane often gets overlooked. And you don't build a church by overlooking the mundane. And so if you're really keen to tap into your purpose, sorry to disillusion some of you, but just be willing to do anything. Just be willing to get involved somewhere, somehow. Specialists have their place. But if it's just specialists, the ordinary and the mundane are going to get overlooked. My question to you is this. If you're not involved in this church by way of example, why? You'll never come into your purpose sitting there waiting for your purpose to fall into your lap. It'll just never happen. Our church needs you. And you don't have to be gifted. You just have to be willing. We've built this church on a lot of ungifted people that were willing. People actually look at our church for the most part and think, how the heck did you do that? And what we've lacked on gifting, we've made up in spirit, willingness, attitude and availability because you don't need the best to build God's church let me ask you another question have you ever hit in a nail without using a hammer some of you men are looking like can you actually use a hammer I've used a shoe When you don't have certain instruments and there's a job that needs to be done, it's amazing what will suffice. When God has a job to do, He's not waiting for the biggest, the best, the latest and the greatest. He's just waiting for willing people that will stop praying, show me your will, get off their behind and actually get involved somewhere doing something. Who knows? Maybe for some of you to tap into the will of God, it's going to start on a rainy day in the car park getting wet. 
Stand up, JT. This young man may just be a little bit closer to the will of God than you because of his willingness to stand in a car park and get wet. God will use whatever he has to do a job. He'll even use a donkey. When there was a wayward prophet not using his God-given gift correctly, God put a spirit on a donkey to speak to him. Can you imagine riding a donkey and the donkey starts talking back to you? This prophet was so wayward and so disillusioned, he starts answering the donkey. You know you're in a bad way when you answer a donkey. That moment was meant to arrest Balaam. It was meant to say, whoa, why is a donkey talking? He doesn't say that. He starts answering him. He says, it's all right for you, donkey. You don't understand. (laughs) Talk about losing the plot. God will use anyone for anything if you let him. When did I know the call of God? When did I know I was called to plant a church? I don't have an answer for that. But I think it started when I said yes to cleaning toilets in the local church. When I saw an area that was needed in kids ministry and I put my hand up and found myself doing it for four years. And every year having to stand in front of the whole church and do a kids production. And just totally humbling myself as I dressed up as a leper, as I dressed up as a little boy, as I dressed up as a little girl, as I dressed up as all sorts of things because a job had to be done. I didn't feel called to that. I didn't feel this voice saying, Tony, I have a job for you. Oh, I want you to dress up as a little girl and be a voice to the nations. I never heard it like that. I heard it like this. Someone who was leading our children's ministry called Kids Ablaze back in the day said, "Uh, we need somebody to dress up. Somebody. Anybody. And they're playing this part. And you know what? Even if you're not a girl, it'll do. (laughs) All right. I'll do it. When did I feel called? I don't know. But I think it started back then. I think it started when I said yes to being part of a youth leadership team for seven years. Never the leader, never had the limelight. I don't know, I ever preached during that time, just served. Just ran lots of kids around the place. And because I had the van, I had the most kids in it. And because I created a sense of fun, we broke the legal seating capacity every Sunday. And every Saturday, sorry, every Saturday night that we'd drive them home. Because everyone wanted to be with Tony. But you know what? You know what that looked like for me? I was out till very early hours in the morning dropping all these kids off and then cleaning up their mess. When did this elusive will of God, this, oh, it hasn't come yet. I do know this, if I was waiting for that elusive moment, I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now. I think God just looks down and sees some willingness and thinks, you know what, I think I can use this guy. I think that's why God could use a guy like Peter who actually let Jesus down more than the other disciples but he was willing to have a go. When it was a dark and stormy night and there was this ghostly figure walking on the water I mean it's a classic ghost story right there. It was dark, it was raining and there's this guy who looked like a ghost walking on the water. 
We could freak your kids out with that story. And then as this ghostly figure gets closer, they realise it's Jesus. And Peter says, if it's you, Jesus, bid me to come. Which is old English for ask me out, come, or whatever. <laughs> it's just how I learnt the scripture. That's all, just bid me to come. And so Jesus says, come. And Peter says, I will. And the disciples said, you're mad. Well, they didn't say that. It's not in the Bible, but the fact that they didn't get out would suggest that you're mad. And Peter said, I don't care, I'm having a go. He's walking on water. In fact, he's not walking on water, he's walking on a word, come. He's walking on the word of God. That's why you need to read your Bible, because it's your word of God that's going to get you through, not your circumstances. He's not walking on water, he's walking on this word. Because the word of Jesus is far greater than the molecular structure of the water. And it's only as he takes his eyes off Jesus and starts looking around at the molecular structure of the water and thinks, you know, I did physics back in school and this shouldn't, be, this shouldn't hold me. And I know what biology is and I'm, you know, two-thirds water or whatever it is. But, and, this, and then he starts sinking. And he starts sinking. He starts thinking. Oh, you've got to write that down. He starts sinking. Your thinking is sinking, many of you. And Jesus grabs him and puts him back in the boat and the disciples are laughing at him. <laughs> Missing the point. That for a moment in time, I don't know how long, I don't know if it's like when you skim a stone. I don't, I don't know how long, but there was a moment that Peter walked on water. And although he began to sink, he walked on water. And I think God said, oh, I can use this boy. Because you've got to remember, they were boys, they were teenagers. The disciples. And when you think about some of the dumb things they did, just think, dumb equals teenager. <laughs> so don't be too hard on the disciples. Be available to do anything. And you'll be amazed at what will open up to you. I even, and many of you would know this story, as a man who cannot sing, and does not play a musical instrument, was asked to lead worship. <laughs> Thanks for the vote of confidence. Appreciate that. You know, when I was asked, this is, what I, this is my first thought. I thought, you know what? They're just trying to humble. I, I actually thought, I thought, I thought, this is what I thought. I thought, they know what kind of guy I am. They're actually going to put me in a situation to fail. I thought, you know what? They've actually put me in a situation where they want me to fail just to humble me and quiet me down or something. Because That's what I thought. And with that kind of wrong thinking, I said, but you know what, Lord? Even if they are, I reckon we can still do it. I went into worship but anything I'll show them. Which is not Christian-like. It's not right. I grabbed the mic. I thought, I'll show them. <laughs> Morning, church. We're going to lead worship today. Come on, stand to your feet. Let's worship. Come on. I don't sing very well. So if you want to drown out my bad voice, you better sing loud or you're in for a bad morning. Come on, everybody. Oh, this is the day. Oh, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice. Hey, we will rejoice and be glad in it and be glad in it. Now, the ladies. 
this is the day that the Lord and the men we will rejoice and be glad. Oh, everybody, we will rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And you do the last line. That means last line. And be glad in it. One more time. You always did it three times. And be glad in it. And that was a response. People just responded. And you know what I learned about myself? I don't sing. But I can lead. That talk, I can lead. People follow me. They actually started singing. I said sing and they sang. Oh, I think there's something in me that actually is more than, than I was aware of. And I started coming into my purpose. I learned something about myself. I learned something about my gift. I learned something about my potential. I learned something about my purpose by doing something that had very little to do with where I was heading, but had everything to do with where I was heading. And I thought, you know what? It's not singing, it's the leading. And then I started thinking, hang on a minute, that reminds me. At school, people used to copy me. They used to have the same hairstyle as me. I'd go buy a shirt and they'd buy the same shirt. It used to tick me off. But I didn't realise it was a leadership thing. And I started thinking and I started saying, hang on, hang on. Has this got something to do with my future? And by God's grace, I stumbled into it. How? By being willing to do anything. Let me do one more point and then we'll get the new deacons up. How's that? We'll continue it next week. And if you only came to see the deacons and you want to come back next week to listen to the rest, that'd be great. <laughs> Number three, make the most of now. Make the most of now. You'll never come into your purpose with the, one day I will be great. It doesn't work like that. This is my answer to that response. Be great at whatever you're doing now. Don't worry about one day you'll be great. Be great now. Be great today. If you're in the car park, be, be the best car park attendant you can be. And that means putting a smile on your face. Be helpful. Don't pick people's eyes out when you open the umbrella. All that stuff. Be great. Do it well. Don't do it with a bad attitude. Says, I'm above this and I just want, one day I'm going to be great. It won't happen. Now is, is, is an incredible, powerful thing. In actual fact, your past, be it good or bad, is made up of what's, what were once now moments. You know that. Everything that got you where you are today is because of once now moments. You responded a certain way in the once now, and it's got you where you are right now. And your future is made up of what you decide to do now. So even if you had a terrible upbringing, even if you were sexually abused, even if you were divorced or separated or this or that or the other or whatever it is that you're going through or have been through, your now can change your future. Your past does not have to determine where you go. Your now will determine where you go. It will. Do you believe that? Your now will determine where you go in life. Amen? I do, I do, I do. I totally believe this. I think I shared not too long ago when I was um, in trade school and I was learning really quickly because I worked for my dad in a small business and, and just to make my, myself um, 
worthy of the wage that I was receiving, I had to learn really quick. Trouble is, in trade school, they had their ways, and it was a little bit slow for my liking. And so I just thought it was a waste of time. I thought I was bigger than it. I thought I was better than it. And so I, I, I made it a little bit difficult for our teacher. And as a result of making it difficult for my teacher, I made it more difficult for myself. I never forget one time, this guy was showing us how to draw a straight line, how to paint in a straight line. And he says, you get a ruler, you measure up, and you draw a line top, you draw a line bottom, you put tape on the bottom, you took tape on the top, and you paint it in, you lay it off nicely, you pull off the tape, and there it is. Oh. I thought, man, I didn't have time to do that. My dad taught me a quicker way. And so when the teacher had finished explaining to the whole class, and all the class were mesmerized by his work, I said, teacher, <clears throat> do you mind if I show you another way? <laughs> I said, you could do that and waste X amount of hours if you like. Or you can do this. And I got my bit of paintbrush. And we used to have a, like a mile stick, which you have, lean your hand on to stop it wobbling. But Dad had taught me a little trick that if you get these two fingers and run it down the mile stick, it acts like a ruler. And if you've got a loaded brush, you've got a beautifully straight line without any pencil, without any tape, without wasting time. There it is. Class were mesmerized. Teacher was not happy. <laughs> so take your seat, Tony. I went... So I go home to dad, I said, oh, dad, it's a waste of time. I don't even know what I was, a stupid. I tried to show everyone what they're doing. I still got told, like, oh, blah, 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 And dad said, get to trade school. Finish what you started. If you learn nothing, you'll learn one thing, and that's patience, and that's what you need more of. <laughs> See, don't be so specific that you miss what God is trying to do. It's not always about what you think you're working on. Lose the karate kid complex. Who remember sees karate kids? Mr. Miyagi takes on board a young son, Daniel son. <laughs> Ralph Marchio and all the girls swooned back in the day, that skinny little punk, but anyway. Ralph Marchio, otherwise known as Mr. Miyagi, no, Mr. Miyagi, sends Daniel son on this wild goose chase in his thinking, I want you to wax my car, wax on, wax off, you know, that stuff, and paint. He didn't have many words, Mr. Miyagi. You know, had to be right. In the end, you know, the, you know where I'm going with this. You know the story. After doing this for days, weeks, I don't know, however long, leading up to this tournament. He feels like he hasn't learned anything. And so one day he just throws his stuff down, has a dummy spit. He says, Mr. Miyagi. Yes, Daniel son. He says, <laughs> so I've been coming here X amount of weeks, months, whatever it is, and you haven't taught me anything. Oh, Daniel son. <laughs> As he's trying to catch flies with chopsticks. <laughs> This, this was the real deal. This was before Matrix and all that kind of, you know, flying over, hidden dragon, flying Superman, whatever it is. 
And Mr. Miyagi goes to punch him. And Daniel-san goes, does all these moves. Not as impressive as that, but they were pretty good. Does all these moves and he starts going, wow. All those things had something to do with a bigger purpose. But in the meantime, he's just thinking, grumpy old man, lazy old man, just wants me to do his work. You know, I didn't pay for this, I didn't sign up for this. And we do that. But God, and we miss our purpose. Imagine if he'd given up earlier, he wouldn't have been able to go, wow, wow. And many of you are never able to go, wow, when it comes to the will of God, because you gave up. Because you thought, what's that got to do with the will of God? What's toilets got to do with the will of God? Well, toilets, not much, but cleanliness does. Because cleanliness is next to godliness. (laughs) Having a good attitude has everything to do with it. Let me close with this little story. And I put you all easy, I'm closing my little, whatever, old laptop, Apple thing, whatever. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm doing this identity series in the midst of Apple two, uh, iPad 2 coming out, because I'd feel devastated, I would. <laughs> when we planted this church, this is pretty much how it looked for us. Pete and I had been praying for two years together every day. No one told us to do it. We were just sensing a stirring in our hearts and spirits. and We just thought, you know what? Let's just get together and start praying. We did that for two years. Pretty much on the two-year mark, the pastor who was leading our church at the time, who had taken over from the pastor prior, who had groomed me and discipled me, etc. Having spent zero, little to zero time with me, Asked me if I wanted an appointment to see him, and okay, cool. And I'll never forget that day in my kitchen in my old house. He started asking me, he says, What is it you want to do with your life? I think he could sense there was something in my life, but didn't quite know what it was, and wasn't quite enough heading in the direction he was taking the church or whatever. I don't know. He wasn't grooming me. He hadn't spent any time with me. He hadn't asked me to preach. He'd never heard me preach. Hadn't heard me lead worship. (laughs) And he comes up with this crazy idea. He says, have you ever thought about starting your own church? And all I can tell you is, At that moment, at the ages of 24, there was something that went off on the inside of me like a firecracker. And I thought, everything I've done and everything I've experienced, the good, the bad, and the ugly, was leading me to this point. I never prayed about it. I said, that's it. That's it. And with no guarantees and with no financial backing, 
In actual fact, we only, not only didn't get financial backing, we had to take our monies that we received every week and give it back to the mother church. So we not only didn't get paid, we had to pay for the opportunity to plant our church. I was so young, dumb and green, I didn't see that as a setback. All I saw was something, I could not tell you what went off on the inside of me when, how about starting a church, was said. I never prayed about it, I just knew like I knew, like I knew, like I knew, like I knew, like I knew. And on the darkest days, and we've had plenty, 17 years, you have a few dark days, let me tell you. You have a few, I've had enough God days. I want to give up God days. Who the heck do they think they are? Kind of days. But what keeps me going is this sense of being with God, finding out who I am, and having an absolute conviction about what I'm called to do. Don't chase the will of God. Don't chase this elusive purpose thing, meaning of life. Get in touch with and develop a relationship with the one who made you. The one who knows you better than you know yourself. God knows you better than your wife does. God knows you better than you you know yourself. And through this, seeking God's face, doors have opened up. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.